The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is our fourth week in our study through the Gospel of Luke. What we've seen thus far really uh, brings us up to the almost the birth of Jesus. I promise we will get there and we'll try to land there right around Christmas week. But we've seen that Luke is letting us know this Jesus, this person that he has set out to write an account of their life, of their teaching, of all that they came to do and to accomplish. This life began with many miraculous things. One, uh, the appearance of an angel to Mary. We saw that last week saying, hey, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. But what we've seen in a couple of our weeks is this character named John the Baptist, how, how he plays into the narrative, how he would be the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would come and prepare the way, the one who would call back many from within the Israelites to their Lord and their God. John the Baptist is a huge figure in this narrative. And today, today as we read a little bit further, we're going to see his birth. Okay, we've heard the proclamation of his birth. He's going to be born to a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were thought to be unable to have children. They were very advanced in years. We think somewhere around their 80s, they had given really up hope of having a child of their own. But then Gabriel, the angel, comes and tells Zachariah, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to do amazing things. And Elizabeth knows that she's pregnant with this child. And, and this child is visited by Mary. And John, as a six-month-old in his mother's womb, leaps for joy when Mary enters into the home. There's a ton of beautiful, beautiful things that revolve around this story. And today we actually just have a few verses. We have nine verses. We're going to kind of pare it back this week. We'll read them quite quickly and see the birth of this amazing young boy. His birth was a spectacle. Uh, for many reasons, it was a spectacle. One, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they live in the countryside of Judea. It's not super remote, but it's also not heavily populated. So the fact that there's an 80-year-old woman who is carrying a child, everybody's going to know that. And it's going to be out, the word's out, that she's going to have a baby. And when it comes time for that to happen, there are neighbors, there's friends, there's relatives who want to partake in this. As I said last week, I think Mary is still hanging out, waiting for the birth of John. So here's how it goes down in chapter 1, verses 57 through 61. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, to John. We knew that was going to happen. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. The neighbors and the relatives and the friends, all of Judea came out to see this baby boy and they shared her joy. Now one, just the birth of a child is a joyous occasion. Okay, those who've had that blessed experience, you know what we're talking about. Everyone comes out, they want to see the baby, they want to hold the baby, they want to the, the, canoodle over the baby. It's, it's so fun, the baby. But now you have a woman who was said to be barren, who that curse of barrenness has been lifted. There's joy that comes with that. Just physiologically, there's an 80-year-old woman who survived childbirth. That, that's something to rejoice in. There had to be a few who didn't think that possible. So there's multiple factors here that cause there to be great joy within the community. Verse 59, 
On the eighth day after John's birth, they came to circumcise the child. They would have gone to the local synagogue and the priest would have circumcised the boy on the eighth day as was customary by the law. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Okay, everyone thought that. <clears throat> Clearly, Zechariah doesn't have any kids. Firstborn son is always named after the father. It was just a given. This child's name was going to be Zechariah. But his mother spoke up, verse 60, and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John. Zechariah was able to communicate that to her. Even though he's unable to speak, he's able to write it out and say, hey, the angel is very clear. This child's name will be John because this child will ultimately bring back many, many who have wandered away from God. And that's what the name John means, and that's why the son would be named that. Verse 61, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Where are you getting this from? That's way too random. You can't name your only child. You're not going to have any others. You can't name your only child, John. It has to be something from your family. No one in your family's named this. But she knew. She knew that God was doing something bigger, something more profound. And she was humbled enough to fulfill the request that God had made through the angel Gabriel. And she wanted to name the son John. Zechariah has to step in, verses 62 through 66. Then they made signs to his father. Okay, This is a good indication that not only was Zechariah unable to speak, he was mute, but he was also deaf. Now, it doesn't say that clearly back in chapter 1. We saw that three weeks ago. But since they made signs to him, he's probably unable to hear as well. They made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. Hey, this child's supposed to be named little Zach, man. You can't, you can't let him be called John. You need to step up and say something here. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. That's his name. That's the name that was given to him by the angel. Verse 64, I love this. Look at the completion of this narrative. Immediately. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak. And what came out of his mouth? First thing that comes out of your mouth after nine months without being able to speak, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? He praised God. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Now, I don't know how many of you have walked through nine months of affliction before. But upon the release of that affliction, it, it may be customary to praise. But also, I think there may be a little bit of bitterness, right? Like, okay, about time this is over. No, not for Zechariah. He praised God. Verse 65, I love this. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, kind of this remote outpost, people were talking about these things. Hey, did you hear about that couple? Yeah, they were old and they had a baby and he wasn't able to speak through the whole pregnancy. But then they bring out the child to be circumcised on the eighth day because that was customary according to the law. And, and they were going to make sure and do that. And then at the moment they named the child, he was able to speak again. This, this is nuts. This, some crazy stuff's happening around this child. Have you heard about it? Verse 66, everyone, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking what then is this child going to be? Obviously, he's someone special. So what's going to happen? What's going to come from the life of this child? For the Lord's hand was with him. 
The favor of God was upon him, even as a baby. The prophecy before his conception. The inability of his father to speak throughout the entire pregnancy. The almost miraculous birth of a woman who was barren and considered without any hope of having a child now has a child in in a very advanced age. There's so much going on around this and everyone sees it. They feel it and they start to ask logical questions. What in the world does this mean? Who is this child? Now, Zachariah and Elizabeth, I think they have a front row seat to the reality. This child is the one who will prepare the way. Elizabeth has already, four months ago, had this monumental encounter with Mary and her brand new baby, Jesus, not unable to be seen by anyone else, but she knew, how am I so lucky to have the mother of my Lord in my house? She knew that John had a role in paving the way for Jesus. And they were ecstatic. But here's what I see thus far in Luke chapter 1, okay? If you've been with us for the last four weeks or if this is your first time, uh, this is something that I see reoccurring in each of our stories thus far, each of our texts thus far. It is the statement that when God speaks, his word will come true. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. And we see this multiple times. I'm not going to have the verses on the screen, but if you want to take notes, it starts with Luke chapter 1, verse 20, where it simply says this, the angel to Zechariah, you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And, and we're reading now today those words coming true. You will not be able to speak until your son is born. In fact, it's an extra eight days. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if you put yourself in the narrative, you're like, the angel said you won't be able to speak till your son's born. Well, the son's been around for eight days, and yet Zechariah still can't speak. What, what's going on? Well, there needs to be this public presentation. God needs to receive his glory. But yet his word came true. You didn't believe me when I told you this was going to happen. It happened, because I said it would. And yet I'm still faithful to my word, and now you have your speech back. Because on this eighth day, now the entire Judean countryside is abuzz because of this child. Verse 37, as the angel speaks again, for no word from God will ever fail. What a great reminder. What a great bumper sticker. God says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. He's going to see it through to completion. Verse 38, Mary saying, may your word to me be fulfilled. If you said I'm going to bear the Son of God, then by all means, may what you say be true. I will be the Lord's humble servant. In verse 45, Elizabeth speaking about Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Blessed is Mary because Mary knew that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. Four times already in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we see that when God speaks, when God speaks, he does what he says he will do. Luke wants to tell us a beautiful, beautiful story about the life of Jesus. And he spends more time than any other gospel writer making sure that we see the beginnings, the humble origins of this Jesus were paved 
by not just his own birth, but by the birth of John the Baptist who would come before him, by the birth of a son that no one expected to be possible, he's showing us that when God has a plan, he sees it through. And I want us to read it again. Luke chapter 1, verse 66. Everyone, everyone who heard this, who heard about John's birth, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. As I wrestled through what the application of this text would be for you and for me today, as I thought through, how do you take, this is a, it's a cool story, but there's not a command within there. What, what do we do with it? How do we apply it to our lives? I, I want us to remember this. God does exactly what he would do with Zechariah. You're not going to be able to speak until the son's born. You're going to go name him. You're going to be able to speak. I am faithful. At the appointed time, you will receive your voice back. I've always wondered what, why it was that time. Because in that moment, in that setting, God received the most glory. God received the most glory. When God works in ways we can't always understand, and, and he does that. He does so to bring about the most glory for himself. Logical thinking is not always the best way to approach God because God is God and his ways are higher than our ways. And we're not always going to be able to understand or trace out why he does something the way that he does it. But I promise you this, he works for your good, but he also works for his own glory. And in this circumstance, Zachariah's muteness was lifted at the perfect time, just as God said it would be. To produce his glory. Question though. If you're walking through something right now. Like a Zechariah, going. I feel like God's leading me somewhere. He's told me he's going to see me through this. But it doesn't really quite seem fair. And it seems like it's a little overwhelming. And it feels like there might be a way for us to kind of shorten this. That, that would be wonderful. Will you stay the course? Will you stay the course? Shortcuts do not work when we're seeking the, the favor and the blessing of God. But here's the problem. We want both. We want the easiest path and we want the favor and the blessing. Now, some of you are going, well, with maturity, Todd, you'll learn that that's not how this works. You can't have them both. I understand. That's my whole point. But I am human. When God calls me to something, I would love to say that every moment of every day as I pursue the Lord with all of my heart, I sit there and think how great this is. But there's many times where I go, Lord, if you could just take a little off the top. If you could just step in and help a little bit more, this is tough. But what God is saying is, I am faithful to fulfill my word to you. And if you will stay the course, not only will it be for your own blessing and favor, but I will receive the most glory. I will receive the most glory. 
God says, I am in control and I have a plan for your life that will not only be to your benefit, but that will bring me the most glory. Are you willing to stay the course so that A, you get the blessing, but then B, and most importantly, he gets the glory. Will you stay the course? I'm going to jump on some toes for the last few minutes here and give some examples of things biblically that God says, promises that he makes to us that oftentimes we just as humans go, I would rather there be a shortcut. I want the blessing that comes on the tail end of it, but I would like the easier version. And when we do that, not only do we rob ourselves, but we rob God of the glory. So I I know I'm going to step on toes not to be judgmental, Okay? This is not meant to be judgmental. It's not to be, meant to be critical. It's meant to be illustrative. I'm using biblical illustrations, and if they just so happen to kind of hit home, well, then that's the Holy Spirit, not me. Okay? On the same page, here we go. First illustration of times where we kind of shortcut and rob ourselves of blessing and God of his glory when it comes to giving back to God. Some of you call it a tithe. Okay, that's what the Old Testament calls it. New Testament, it's hard to prove that there's still a biblical tithe, but that a lot of times is giving back to God. Okay, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says this. Will a mere mortal, will a human rob God? Is that possible for a, a human to rob God? God says, you rob me. You rob me. And you ask, how are you robbing me? And he says, with your tithes and your offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. See if I'm not faithful to my word, to my promise. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The blessing that comes from bringing the whole gift back to God, yet, yet, oftentimes, maybe knowing that truth, maybe not, we look and we go, yeah, it's just not a good season to give to God right now. You know, we're going to have to kind of batten down the hatches right now because we're not not sure what 2021 is going to bring. I I get that. I'm, I'm in that boat with you. But see, we want the blessing We want God to pour out his favor upon us and overflow our storehouse with his goodness. We want that. But he says, no, no, the way you get there is by bringing your whole gift to me. So see, sometimes we just want to take the shortcut and still get the blessing. And God says, it's not how it works. You're actually robbing me. You're robbing me. You're not trusting me in my word that what I say is true. That if you bring 10% to me, I will lavish upon you more than you could ever imagine. That's how it works. Oh, but we as humans so often want to take that shortcut. And then we have the audacity to get mad when God does not provide for our every financial need. It's not just with money. Another thing that we like to play around with is sex. And I know if there's little ones in the room, I'm not going to get graphic here. But God has a 
beautiful formula for how sex is to be treasured and experienced amongst humans. And he says that's within the covenant of marriage. That's how it's supposed to be. But there's a lot of humans who want to take a shortcut and go, if it's good there, it can be good other places too. And I don't want to be tied down in that way with marriage. I, I want to experience the goodness of it all the time. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of the temptations of sexual immorality, and they're, they're all over the place, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Sex is best experienced within the covenant of marriage. But yet we want that blessing without that commitment. We want that blessing while taking a shortcut. How often can we say that that shortcut has ended in disaster? When God's word is so clear. When his promise is so true. When he's paved the way for us, but will we stay the course? A much more general one now. Loving your neighbor. If you read the New Testament and you do not see dozens of times within it, the command to love your neighbor, to love God as you love your neighbor, if you do not see that, it's there. But it's not easy, right? There's, there's shortcuts that we can take in loving our neighbor, especially the neighbor that is difficult to love. But yet Jesus makes it so, so clear in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 45, what will happen if we take that shortcut? And, and this is terrifying to me, but God is faithful to his promise. Then he will say to those on his left, this is Jesus speaking about the end of times. He'll say to those on his left, to those on his right, he's already said, come and share in your master's happiness. To those on his left, he will say this, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow, no one wants that. No one wants that. Jesus goes on to say, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Those then also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing of clothes or sick or in prison and we didn't help you? We would have come running if we would have known it was you. We would have come running if we just knew that you needed clothes or food. And he replied, verse 45, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. How heavy of a truth Jesus, candidly speaking about the end of times, and he's saying one of the things that will divide left and right, eternal goodness and glory versus eternal condemnation, is those who chose to love their neighbor well, to go out of their way, to protect, to clothe, to feed the hungry, the hurting, the disenfranchised. That's what God has called us to do. And he said, blessed will be those who do that. But, but how often do we want to take the shortcut? Hey, I'll go to church. I'll throw some money into Project Christmas. I, 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 I got this. And Jesus is going, but how often do you walk through life so content with your own goodness and greatness that you miss the opportunity right in front of you? Will you stay the course? 
Will you trust that the plan that God has for you is greater than the plan that you have for yourself? Will you believe that your math does not always need to be God's math? Will you live faithfully and humbly as a servant of his? Knowing that the plan that he has for your life is better than the plan that you have. This is not an easy message, but as I look at Elizabeth and Zechariah, as I look at the blessing that they had in this beautiful son, John, they knew that what they were doing was not just for their own benefit. What God was doing in and through them was not just for their benefit. It was for the benefit of the world, and it was for the glory of God. And that is the mindset, the mentality, church, that I believe we need to have. We need to have today, as we see this story and go, they are remembered and they were celebrated on that day because of their faithfulness, because of their humility, because of their willingness to trust God, even when it didn't make sense. Romans 11, verses 33 through 34, one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how wise he is. How unsearchable are his judgments. His paths are beyond being able to trace out. We can't follow his logic because we don't have the brilliance to do so. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer is no one. Who has been his counselor? Hey God, you did, you did that wrong. Many of us have tried and we've all failed. Why did Zechariah have eight more days of being mute? Because God was waiting for the moment where he would get the most glory. Why are you possibly going through struggles and trials today? Because if you stay the course and you remain faithful and humble, God will get the most glory and you will receive the greatest blessing. How do you need to better trust God and his plan for your life this week? Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? That he cares enough about you to lead and guide you if you're simply willing to stay the course? How do you need to better trust God this week with his plan for your life? Is there anything going on right now in your life that you know God will use for his glory, but it's tough, it's just hard. In that candor and honesty going, this is not my favorite season. Ask him for strength to finish strong, to stay the course. Ask him for faith to trust in his plan and believe that God knows better God knows better than you what you need. That his word and his promises will always come true. And that those who are humble, those who are willing to listen and obey, will not only glorify God with their life, but they will receive a blessing that they could never produce on their own. I don't know about you, but I want that blessing. So as you reflect and as you press into him today how can you this week better trust God with your life father help us help us answer that question help us to live faithfully for you help us to learn from your word and God most importantly let us glorify you and as we glorify you may you pour out your blessing upon us we thank you for your mercy and your grace thank you for your power and your love this in your name we pray Amen.